0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you all this morning. It's such a blessing for us to be able to come and to gather together to sing the praises of the Lord and also to look into God's Word and to learn and to grow and, and uh, hopefully to honor Him with our lives. That is our goal in the Christian life, to honor the Lord who loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to come to this earth, to die in our place, to take our sin upon Himself so that we might have eternal life by believing in him. And that is a succinct message of the gospel, and that is why we are here, because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you to our praise team for leading us in worship this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. I just absolutely love this time of the year. Um, Except for the cold part, I love all the activity and excitement that this time of the year brings. If we think about it, we do special things. We give special gifts and we spend time with special people, but hopefully this time of the year also serves as a special time of reflection on all that we have to be thankful for. And We considered that last week as we were together, as we talked about growing in gratitude And I hope that resonated in our hearts. I hope that was something that we could tangibly put into our hearts and into our lives. And now we're on the march to Christmas. We are looking forward to being able to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. During the month of December... Uh, we are going to be taking a break from our exposition of the Gospel of John, and we're going to be doing a, a special sermon series that I've entitled Miraculous Births in the Bible, and there are many. But we're only going to choose from five. We have five weeks in the month of December. There's a schedule for you in your bulletin as to how we're going to approach this series. But this morning, uh, I want to share with you about the miraculous birth, and the privileged life of Samson. As a young boy growing up in the church, I had a special fascination with Samson. On the one hand, I was just taken aback. I was so amazed at his God-given strength and power. But on the other hand, even as a young boy, I was uh, thinking that he's really dumb. he he doesn't seem to have it all together. He's like this big strong guy that didn't have a lot going on upstairs. And so even as a little kid, I thought Samson was overconfident. I thought he was reckless. And because he was, as we'll see today, it cost him in a huge way. But there is a whole lot, there is much that we can learn from his life. And let me just say, as we look at this today, All we know about Samson is found in these four chapters in Judges. Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16. That's it. That's it. That's all we have. And so we're going to try to march through that this morning as best as we can. So I want to begin by reading for you the account of his birth And we find this here in Judges chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. It's the whole chapter, and I'm going to read that for you. And then when we're done, we're going to take a look at his life. And so a lot of reading today. We're going to try to march through these four chapters together. But right now, I want to read for you about his miraculous birth. And so look at Judges chapter 13 and verse 1. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son." Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And then the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome." And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor any, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God, from whom, from the womb, to the day of his death. And then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent to us come again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman, and she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And so the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. And then Manoah arose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, well, now when, when your words came to, come to pass, <clears throat> what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink uh, wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, and when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again, and then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And so Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would, have, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have... Let us hear things like this at this time. And then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in these particular lands. So that's the story of the miraculous birth of Samson. But our mission for today is also to take a look at his life. And as we look at his life, it seems that there are five particular stages. And so that's how we're going to kind of look at this. Chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're going to look at his life in five particular stages. And the first stage is that he was clearly blessed. He was blessed. Look look again at verse 24. I just read it. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. Samson, whose name means of the son, was born in the town of Zorah in the tribe of Dan on the border of Judah sometime around 1161 BC. Now, it's good to have a framework. It's good to kind of have an understanding of the breadth of Scripture, Revelation from Genesis uh, on to the book of Revelation. This is helpful for me to remember. Uh, It's sort of a biblical timeline. I've mentioned this before, but it's something I think worth repeating. So from Adam into Abraham is roughly 2,000 years, okay? So, From Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. From Abraham then to Jesus, roughly 2,000 years. And then from Jesus to today is roughly 2,000 years. So we have about 6,000 years of biblical history that we have here in our our scriptures. So Samson lived about 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. So this was before the time of the kings, and so Israel was ruled by judges, and the Philistines were Israel's greatest enemy. And as we just read, Samson was a miracle child, born to his father Manoah, and his mother, whose name is not mentioned in the text. Did you notice that? She's not mentioned. Her name is not mentioned, but we know here from the text that she was barren. She wasn't able to have children. And as we just read, at some point, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and brought her the good news that the Lord was going to bless her and her husband with a son, and not only with a son, but one who would be set apart unto God in a special way. And their son, who they would name Samson, would be, as verse 5 says, a Nazarite to God, which meant, among many other things, that his hair was never to be cut, and he was to forever refrain from drinking alcohol of any kind. Now let me take you over to Numbers chapter 6, so keep your finger here in Judges. Let me take you over to Numbers chapter 6, because there we learn more about what a Nazarite is, because there's much more to it than just those two things. So Numbers chapter 6, we find of the law of the Nazarites. Look at verse 1, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine, from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of hair on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near to a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or his sister when they die because separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord." So the term Nazarite is from the Hebrew word Nazir, which means to be separated or consecrated. So that means that those who took a a Nazarite vow placed themselves under certain conditions so as to separate themselves from sin and be consecrated then to God. And although it was relatively common for people, men or women, as the text says, to take a temporary Nazarite vow, only Samson... Samuel and John the Baptist would be appointed by God as a lifelong Nazarite. But of the three, only Samson would be given the gift of this extraordinary strength that we'll learn of as we move on through the text. One of the things I think is important for us, especially as New Testament Christians, is to, is to remember and be reminded that God is the one who gifts us and so we'll see here that Samson had this extraordinary strength I mean the guy was unbelievable with his strength and what he could do and we'll see examples of that as we move through the text but we must not lose sight of the fact that God is the one who gave him the strength and God is the one who gifts us in the Christian life 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, all passages of Scripture in the New Testament that speak to these spiritual gifts that God gives us. And they're born out through His Spirit. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to gift each Christian so that we may use our gift within the body of Christ for the edification of the body of Christ. So let me just give you a a, a little chastisement if you are a believer in jesus christ you have trusted in christ he is your savior he is your lord you have repented of your sin you have turned to him in faith his grace has been extended to you as part of his grace he has given you his spirit so the holy spirit lives within us as christians We are indwelt by the Spirit of God, but one of the ministries of the Spirit who indwells us is the giving of a gift, because when we are saved, New Testament Christians are placed in the universal church. We live out our life as Christians through the local church, and we minister within the local church by using our giftedness that's been given to us by God to edify the saints. All that to say is we need each other. We need each other because God has bestowed gifts upon us that we are to use for other people, not for ourselves. So we're going to see here that God gifted Samson in a huge, huge way. The question is, did Samson lose sight of the fact that his strength was given to him by God, and God would have him to use his God-given strength, this gift that he's given to him, for the edification of Israel? Does Samson do the same thing that we do sometimes? we lose track of the fact of the importance of the local church and our role in the local church to use our gifts for the edification of others. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we move through the text. So as we'll see, his strength seemed to be tied to the length of his hair, but make no mistake, his strength was given to him by God. And so Samson, who served as one of the ruling judges of Israel for over 20 years, was immensely blessed by God. While we have limited information about Samson's life, and we'll see that here as we go through these chapters, it appears that his primary role as a judge was defending Israel against the Philistines, who according to chapter 14 and verse 4, were ruling over Israel at this time. Remember what the angel of the Lord said in chapter 13 and verse 5. He said this, For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Nowhere in Scripture do we find someone else like Samson. So there's no mistaking that Samson was richly and uniquely blessed by God. The second stage that we find in Samson's life is he was disobedient. He was disobedient. First, he was blessed, but second, he was disobedient. Though Samson was a judge and a lifelong Nazarite, he struggled with disobedience to the Lord over and over again, despite being immensely blessed by God, he made sinful choices. And most of his sinful choices, as we'll see, were surrounded around his desire for beautiful women. Look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, go get her for me as a wife. And then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Go get her for me, for she looks good to me. The Philistines were pagans. They worshipped false gods. They had a great disdain for the Israelites and the God of Israel. Samson was given the responsibility by God to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines, not to interconnect with them but he was consumed by lust. He sees this beautiful Philistine woman, and he knows that he should not have anything to do with her, but he tells his father to go and to get her for him. I was reminded of a couple of passages of Scripture as it relates to this. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 25 says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you With her eyelashes. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 30 Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here is a perfect example of the gratification of the flesh of Samson. He sees something that he knows that he shouldn't be a part of. He instructs his dad, I want her. She is beautiful. And so lust brings forth action in many cases. And so he tells his parents to go and to get the woman. I want her. She looks good. And so the parents say, well, you know that this isn't good. Is there not any women among our people that would fall into the same category as this young woman? And essentially, he says, no, I want her. She looks good. So by eventually marrying this woman, he would be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. This is the start of the issues with Samson. And of course, this is no small thing. Later in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18, the Apostle Paul would not only share the dangers of marrying an unbeliever, he would give a strong command not to do so. Remember what he said. Paul said, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership hath righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. The Spirit of God lives within us. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to Me, says the Lord Almighty. This principle of not being unequally yoked together is an old farming illustration. I'm not a farmer, nor am I a son of a farmer, uh, but I've been on farms and I've seen how things work, especially back in the day where farmers would often use oxen to pull the plow in the fields. And this even happens today in the Amish community and some of the Mennonite communities. You'll see as you drive by, they have oxen or, or some sort of animals that Uh, are in tandem that pull the plow. So this is an illustration that we can grasp and we can understand. So could you imagine if there was a plow that needed pulled and the farmer got a, a big old ox, huge old ox, and he pairs that ox with some little calf. And he says, okay, let's go. You see how unusual and odd and and, and, and ineffective that's going to be because the ox is big and strong and, and, and he knows what to do, but the calf is small and he doesn't know what to do. And so they would not work in tandem as they pulled the plow. And so that's what he's saying is we're not to be unequally yoked. We're to be yoked together with people of the same kind. So we're to be equally yoked with people who are believers in the one true living God. This applies to more than just marriage. I think people can be unequally yoked if they are partners in business with an unbeliever. They don't have the same goals. They don't have the same morality. They don't have the same um, thing that they're pushing forward they don't have the same base of the spirit of God living within them and so Paul gives the warning not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever but that's exactly what Samson does he pursues this woman anyway despite the red flags he presses on he pursues her anyway and this is the start of his downward spiral so, beginning here in chapter 14 in verse 5 we find another instance of his disobedience as he violates his nazarite vow by coming in contact with a dead body and in this case the dead body is the dead body of a lion that he kills look at verse 5 of chapter 14 then samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah, and behold a young lion came roaring toward him and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. So he went down and talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. And when he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. And so he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating it as he went. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey out of the dead body of the lion. So after he kills the lion, he shares the honey with his parents that was in the carcass of the lion, and then he sets out to marry this beautiful Philistine woman. Look at verse 10. Then his father went down to the woman, and Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this, and when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And so in those days, there was was always what amounted to a marriage feast. It was usually a week-long marriage feast. And these 30 companions that are mentioned here essentially served as de facto groomsmen for Samson. But this is where Samson begins to play his games. And he gives them a riddle for them to try and to figure out. And he even tells them that if they guess the answer to the riddle, he will give them 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. And so there's a lot at stake here. Having clothing that you could change out over a period of time was a huge thing back in these days. And so these men go to Samson's new wife and they threaten her. They tell her that if she doesn't get Samson to tell her the answer of the riddle and give the answer to them, they're going to burn to the ground her house and the house of her father. And So you think these are the, not the kind of groomsmen <laughs> you want to have in your wedding. And so Samson's new wife, she starts crying, and she really plays it up with Samson. He caves, he tells her the answer to his riddle, and of course she then goes and tells the 30 companions the answer to the riddle, and this sets off a string of reactions by Samson, which culminates with him doing battle with the men at Ashkelon and him taking their clothes and giving them to these 30 companions who correctly answer the riddle. So the details of his marriage to this woman woman is very sketchy, but Samson figures out that she had betrayed him, and so he leaves her for some time. But when he returns, he finds out that her father had given her to another man. And so when he confronted the, the dad, the dad offers him his other daughter. So Samson's not happy about it and this sets off another string of events look at chapter 15 beginning with verse 1 but after a while in the time of the wheat harvest Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said I will go into my wife in her room but her father did not let him enter "'Her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, "'so I gave her to your companion. "'Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? "'Please let her be yours instead.' "'And Samson then said to him, "'This time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines "'when I do them harm.' "'And Samson went and he caught 300 foxes "'and took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail "'and put one torch in the middle between the two tails.' And when he had set fire to the torches, he he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the shocks and standing grain along with the vineyards and the groves. And then the Philistines said, who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. And so the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you, but after that I will quit. He struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the rock of Edom. I tell you, you look at what's going on here and we can almost predict it. We can almost predict it. You see it coming as you read through these chapters. And so obviously, this incites the Philistines. So they make plans to go after Samson. But it's very interesting here, even his own people, as we'll see here in a moment, even his own people, the men of Judah, are put off with Samson. And they bind him, and they take him to the Philistines. Look at verse 9. Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi, Uh, the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson in order to do to him as he did to us. And then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me. And so they said to him, no, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Yet surely we will not kill you. And then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and so he reached out and he took it and he killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heap upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. This leads us then to the third stage in Samson's life, and it is that he was foolish. It's one thing to be flat out disobedient to the Lord. It's quite another to be foolish. But that's so very clear here Samson foolishly dabbled in the things that led to his disobedience. And i got to ask the question, do we not do that sometimes? Do we not dabble in things that we know we shouldn't dabble in, and yet we do it? And then we get on the train, and eventually it leads to disobedience, and then it leads to regret, and then it leads hopefully to repentance and change in our life. But why did we start it in the first place? Foolishness. And this is where Samson's at. Samson is acting foolishly. And as, we, as I've said, we don't have a full picture of Samson's life here. Only selective highlights. And all that we know of Samson is found here in these four chapters in Judges. But no doubt, I have no doubt, that he did a lot of great things for the Lord. And he did a lot of great things for the Lord's people, Israel. We've already seen a couple of occasions where he uses his God-given strength to eliminate thousands of these pagan Philistines who were opposed to God. But you would think that he had learned his lesson as it related to Philistine women. You would think he was warned by his parents, He saw this woman, he wanted her, he got her, he married her. All this trouble has happened since. But no, it doesn't seem that he learned. Here at the beginning of chapter 16, we find that he goes to Gaza and he sleeps with a prostitute. He sees a beautiful woman who sold her body to men. He follows after his lust. And he sleeps with a prostitute. But the rest of what we know about Samson is encapsulated in his relationship with another Philistine woman named Delilah. Verse 4 says that he was smitten with her. I'm not really sure what that means, but somehow this woman stood above the rest and he was absolutely taken by her. So he saw her and her beauty, and it consumed Samson. Now we saw that that happened earlier with the woman that he made his wife. We, saw, we, just, we just read the account of him sleeping with a prostitute. But now, now he is smitten by this woman Delilah. Look at verse 4 of chapter 16. And this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. And then we will each give you, listen to this, 1,100 pieces of silver. Samson's smitten with this woman, but she ain't smitten with him. She's smitten with money. She's smitten with money. Delilah was motivated by money, and these rulers offered her a boatload of money to try and find out where his amazing strength had come from. And so she begins to beg Samson to tell her. And you know the story. Samson knew it, uh, was unwise to tell anyone the secret of his strength. So he begins to play with her like he did with the other uh, guys and sends her on a string of wild goose chases. Each time he makes up a story about the origin of his strength, Delilah tells the rulers and they come and they try to seize him. Now you would think that Samson would realize after all of that, that she wasn't on his team, but he keeps playing the game. And she gets increasingly more irritated with Samson. So she's at her wit's end, and she comes back to Samson one last time, and she lays it all on the line. And he caves. Look at verse 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? you have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I shaved, then my strength will leave me and I will become weak and I'll be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and did what she did before. She called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up once more for he has told me all that is in his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. And she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him come and shave off the seven locks of his hair. And then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, "'The Philistines are upon you, Samson.' And he awoke from his sleep and said, "'I will go out as at other times "'and shake myself free.' But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. And then the Philistines seized him, and they gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison." However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. So first, he was blessed, clearly, as we see here. He was, secondly, disobedient. Third, he was foolish. And now fourth, the fourth stage in the life of Samson is he was disciplined. He was disciplined. Hebrews twelve six reminds us that those whom the Lord loves he disciplines. The Lord had had enough. Because of Samson's sin, his strength was removed. His eyesight was taken from him. He's cast into prison by the Philistines. This strong man of Israel had lost track of his mission and who he was to please with his life. And again, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Because of his sin, his life had become a spectacle and to the Philistines, he became nothing more than entertainment. Look at verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God, small g, has given our enemy into our hands. Even the destroyer of our country who has slain uh, many of us. And it so happened when they were in high spirits, they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. And so they called for Samson from the prison and he entertained them and they made him stand between the pillars. And then Samson said to the boy who was holding his hand, let me feel feel the pillars on which this house rests that I may lean against them. And now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there and about 3,000 men and women were on the roof looking on while Samson was amusing them. This leads then to the final stage of Samson's life. And it is that he was repentant. He was repentant. At some point... At some point, Samson knew that he had failed the Lord. When we live out the Christian life, it's not until we realize that we have failed the Lord that we repent. Because everything's going okay. There were no bad repercussions for what I did. Nobody even knows. Or if they do know, then we said anything. Or we did something that no one else knows, but we know, but, you know, we can easily let those things pass. At some point here, and it's right here, after all that had happened, after the Lord had disciplined him, he realized that he had failed the Lord. He had failed the Lord by being disobedient and foolish. And when the Lord disciplined him, it got his attention Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Why? To get our attention. So in a selfless act of repentance, he sacrifices his own life to destroy the enemies of the Lord. Look at verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. Remember, he had lost his strength and he's calling on the Lord to restore it. O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars of which the house rested and he braced himself against it. The one on the right hand, the other on the left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. And so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. And then his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Ashtala in the tomb of Manoah his father. Then he had judged Israel 20 years. So that's the story that's all we got we have four chapters in the bible that we learn about this man samson we're going to see samson in heaven samson believe it or not is mentioned in the great hall of faith in hebrews chapter 11 with all of the great saints that walked with god and and that that Endured hardship. Samson is mentioned. It's interesting to me, we get a negative picture here of Samson, right? A really kind of a strong negative reaction as we read all this because we see his foolishness and his disobedience and we see that God eventually disciplines him, but he repents. But this is just a small snapshot of this guy's life. So I thought. Let's, let's ask what lessons that we can learn here. So let me give you three of them as we close down. First, if we play with fire, we're most likely going to get burnt. If we play with fire, we're most likely going to get burnt. If a person has had major issues with alcohol, it would be extremely unwise for them to go into a bar. If a person has had an issue with gambling, it would be extremely unwise to go into a casino. Samson became arrogant and thought he could get up real close to the fire and never get burnt. But his life is a reminder that at some point God says, Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Much later in the Gospel of Luke, when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, he told Satan, There's a a great danger in putting the Lord your God to the test. And we see that here in this story. Samson did a lot of good things. No doubt he was a great protector for the nation of Israel. He served as a judge for, for 20 years. He did a lot of good things, but he became extremely reckless. And he presumed upon the Lord. Folks, we're never to presume upon the Lord. We're never to take Him for granted. The Lord is gracious and merciful and long-suffering, but He's also holy and just. First Corinthians 10, 12, therefore let the one who thinks he stands watch out that he does not fail, fall. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before the fall. I think Samson knew the gift that God had given to him and his strength, and so he used it in many ways, for his own benefit. And we talked about how we're to use our gifts for the benefit of the body. He's to use his giftedness, his strength, for the benefit of the nation of Israel, and he used it sometimes even in anger. If we play with fire, we're most likely to get burnt. Secondly, the second lesson, second obvious lesson that we can learn is that we are never to give in to our sinful desires. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then Colossians 3.5, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The King James calls it mortifying the flesh. I like that mortifying just means to kill or subdue we're not to make any provision for the flesh we don't the flesh doesn't need any help (laughs) we're not to provide fuel for the fire of our flesh The Christian has this great battle going on within them. They they have the Spirit who who lives within them, and so the Spirit battles with the flesh. And Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 talk all about this. So we all have a battle that we're going through as Christians because we're not yet glorified. It's not yet that we will not have sin in our life. That is yet future. When we see Christ, we'll become like Him and we'll see Him as He is. But right now, we deal with sin and, and fleshly desires, and we all do, but we're to kill the flesh. We're not to give it a push in the right direction. We're not to light the fire of the flesh. We're not to entice the flesh. We're to mortify it. We're to kill it. Make no provision provision for the flesh. And so it comes down to this. Are we going to be obedient to the Lord or are we not? I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to, right? Are we going to be obedient to the Lord or are we not? Is Samson going to be obedient to the Lord or is he not? And every other person in the Bible that we learn from, every other person that we know in this life, are you going to be obedient to the Lord or are you not? That's what it comes down to. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus said. Not to be willy-nilly, With God or His church, God's told us how He wants us to live. It's really not that hard. It's really not, we make it so difficult to live the Christian life. It is not intended to be that hard. He wants us to live for Him. And then, third, and this is probably the most beautiful lesson of all, the third lesson is the Lord always forgives. The Lord always forgives. Aren't you grateful for that? I tell you, uh, we're going to start a study with our grace group tonight uh, out of the book of 1 John. And um, this is one of the most beautiful two verses in this epistle that John wrote. 1 John 1.8-9 1, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not a salvation verse. That's in the context of fellowship with God. The whole book of 1 John was written so that we may know that we have eternal life. It's all about fellowship with God. When we sin against God, we in some way kind of turn our back on Him. He never turns His back on us, but we sort of turn our back on God when we sin. And confession allows us then to be back in fellowship with God. And so the context of this is fellowship, not salvation. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what Samson did. He was disciplined by God. He went through the ringer, all this kind of stuff. He was so distraught over Sinning against God and not fulfilling his responsibility of obedience to God that played out in the lives of Israel, he gave up his life for the cause of Christ. For the cause of God. Whatever it is that you've done up to this point in your life, if you confess your sin and repent, the most beautiful thing will happen. The Lord will forgive you. You may still have to deal with the consequences of your sin, but he will remove the guilt and the weight of your sin, and you will be free. With all that we've learned from the life of Samson I mentioned earlier, his name is mentioned in the great hall of faith. If you want to look at it later, it's Hebrews 11 and verse 32. It's a sure reminder of what we just looked at today. That God uses flawed people like Samson and us. And while his life was a mishmash of obedience and disobedience, in the end, he turned to his God. And so may the lessons from the life of Samson help us to avoid going down the same paths that he did. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning as we've learned from the life of Samson, we'll see him in glory, we'll see him in heaven. We know he did a lot of good things. We know that he was pleasing to you in so many ways, and yet, we have all these examples of of how he uh, didn't mortify his own flesh, but he fed it. And when he did, it led to all these different things. And so Lord, may we learn from his example. May we thank you for all the things that you did in his life and how he was used in a mighty way in the people's lives in Israel. And yet may we learn from his failings as well and avoid them. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin that we have and as we think of even in our own life, and we look at sin, and we, we should hate it, we should desire to confess it, so that we would be filled with your Spirit, and that we'll have fellowship with you, even as a believer. And we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.